Bless with Charlie. Hello, hello, and welcome all, guys, gals, non-binary pals, to another episode of Sleepless with Charlie, an ASMR-style podcast where I browse the creepiest, darkest, most depraved corners of the internet, mostly Reddit, and I read soft-spoken renditions of my favorite stories that I find for you guys. If you're the type of person that also ironically browses r slash no sleep to get to sleep, then this may be the podcast for you. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful week, and if you are also in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope you're staying warm. I myself have been doing very well. I've been giving my poor liver a break after the holidays and doing a dry January, but for the past few days I've really been craving a soju, especially since I was snowed in for a few days there. Luckily, by the time this episode airs, it will be February, so I can have a soju and not feel like I am breaking a rule. Speaking of rules, you see what I did there? This episode is called What Are the Rules? And this is all stories having to do with rules, usually enforced by some kind of supernatural entity. Usually after somebody moves into an apartment, they receive a list of rules, and you know, the rent is just so good. You have to say, even though if you break a rule, you'll probably be <laughs> But you know, $600 a month? Rent's expensive, what are you going to do? <laughs> so today's episode is just reading all stories like that. Maybe it's because I'm the type of person that thinks I would do well if I got a malevolent genie, but I really love these stories. I just love seeing the types of rules people come up with and how they kind of combine with the entity that they come up with too. I think there's just so much room for fun and creativity with these types of stories, and I'd love to see what people do with it. So I hope you guys enjoy these stories as much as I enjoy reading them. And also, this episode is going to be a two-parter because there are so many stories that fall under this genre that I just enjoy so much. And a couple of the stories I'm reading today also have multiple parts. So I will be reading more of those in the next episode. So if you really enjoy any particular story today, you might want to tune back later and see if there's, you know, more to it than you first thought. <laughs> Our first story is one of the two multi-part stories that I have. And this one's definitely a classic. It's from r slash no sleep. It was written by Newtown Jam about four years ago, so a little bit older. It's one of the top-rated no-sleep stories of all time, with almost 27k upvotes. And it was one of the first stories I ever read under this genre, so it's got that nostalgia factor for me too, personally. <laughs> Sit back, relax, or brace yourself if you scare easy, and let's dive into our first story. The previous tenant of my new flat left a survival guide. I'm not sure I want to live here anymore. I moved in with my boyfriend yesterday. We've been together for five years now, and we're old and wise enough to settle down and finally leave our parents' house. He just turned 24, and I'm 22. He's the love of my life. His name is Jamie, and I couldn't be happier to be living with him. When we decided to make the leap, we spent two months looking at flats and houses. We couldn't afford to buy yet, so renting was our only option, but the prices were astronomical. For our budget, we would, be, we would have been lucky to get a box room and a stove. Jamie works for a local 24-hour fast food restaurant, and I'm training to be a teacher. The early stages of training don't pay much, and I owe a lot in student loans, so finances are tough. We had almost given up hope until we found our flat, it was nothing special, but to us, it was a palace. A spacious, two-bedroom apartment with views of a city park, a balcony, and local conveniences. It was in a tower block in a not-so-nice area, but neither of us had been wealthy growing up. We weren't fussy. We were just grateful to be together. The advert was sweetened by the deposit-free option and open-ended tendency, the landlord was happy to sign a five-year contract if we wanted. That sort of thing never happens in the city. We were told that along with no deposit, we would also have no inspections, but would be liable to pay for any damage when we ended the tenancy. I'd never heard of anything quite like it. We knew that for our budget and location, 
we weren't going to get any better. We snapped the place up fast, not even bothering to view it. It felt like our only chance. Move-in day rolled around quickly, and yesterday we got the keys to our first home together. It was such a strange feeling. The day was chaos getting our stuff in and up in the lift. We were flat number 42 on the seventh floor. The items we couldn't get in the lift had to be taken up all by the stairs by the removal men. I think they were grateful that we weren't any higher, but I still wish we had been able to give them a better tip. In the evening, we settled down on our second-hand sofa, given to us by a cousin of a friend, and watched some TV. We smoked cigarettes on the balcony, looking at the park, and fell asleep on our mattress on the floor super early, because we had no energy to put the bed together, and Jamie had work at a hideous time of the morning. We slept soundly last night. I felt safe and happy. I don't think that feeling is coming back anytime soon. And it's all due to the note I found this morning. I found it in the kitchen, having a coffee. Hours after Jamie had left for his early shift at work. It was in one of the cupboards that were fixed to the wall. There were a bunch of useful items from the previous tenant. Spare keys to the flat, a set of tiny keys that locked and unlocked the windows, necessary for those with kids this high up. Spare smoke alarm batteries, and a folded up piece of paper. The note was handwritten with, New occupier of flat 42, in beautiful cursive on the blank side. I opened it up and sat down to read. I can't really describe it to you, so I'm going to copy it out below. Dear new occupier, Firstly, welcome to your new home. I lived here before you for 35 years with my husband. Unfortunately, he had an incident at home recently that I'd rather not discuss that claimed his life. My sister has now decided I can't keep up with the demands of the property and has insisted that I move in with her and her husband. I was reluctant at first. <clears throat> I was reluctant at first, but the stairs do kill me at my age and without Bernie, it's filled with sadness. Anyway, when you've lived somewhere for as long as I have, it feels like a person that you know. You understand its personality and what makes it tick. I thought it was probably pertinent that I impart some of that knowledge on you. It's a wonderful home, honestly. I have lived through best and worst years, and leaving it behind is very emotional. But if you are to survive and get the best out of it, then there are some steps that you need to follow. Number one, the landlord will never bother you. He doesn't visit call or communicate in any way, but make sure to pay your rent in a timely fashion always. I have only dealt with him once in 35 years, and let's just say I never missed another rent day. Any repairs required, you speak to the agent you rented the place with. Number two, do not use the communal lift between 1.11 and 3.33 a.m. Just don't do it. This step is vital if you are to live a happy life here. It really is life or death. Don't do it. This has cost me and many others in the building greatly, and I would rather not elaborate on why you shouldn't do this. Just please don't do it. I cannot stress this enough. Number three, when you hear the strange animal noises coming from flat 48, don't question it. Mr. Prentice lives there, and he's a lovely chap. Don't be afraid to say hello to him in the corridor or on the stairs. He's old school, so he never risks the lift. But whatever you do, don't check on him when you hear the noises. You'll know when you hear them. Number four, if you ever come across a window cleaner on the balcony, ignore him. He may seem like the nicest fellow you've ever had trying to sell you something at the door, but it really is best that you don't engage. He will go away if you ignore him but he tries pretty hard the first few times, so you'll need some resilience. Whatever you do, don't offer him anything. No money, no hot drink. Number five, don't leave food scraps out. Bin or refrigerate them immediately. If you have small animals, it is imperative that you watch them eat and take away any leftover food immediately after they are done. This and rule two go hand in hand. The things forage all day, 
and seem to really love animal feed. You don't want them in your flat, I promise. You can leave what you want out between 1.11 and 3.33 a.m., so you may want to feed your pets then. Number six, don't communicate with any neighbors who claim to come from flats 65 to 72. These flats suffered a fire in the late 80s that devastated the whole floor. All the residents died in their homes. The building was mostly council-owned at, at the time, and they never bothered to renovate the flats. They've been empty ever since. But every now and again, someone will knock at your door claiming to live in one of these flats and ask to borrow some sugar. They will seem entirely average, but you must shut and lock the door immediately. I installed two extra security bolts to avoid these fuckers. I don't like to swear at my age, but they really are fuckers. Number seven. Simple one for you here. Keep a weapon in each room. Sometimes you follow all these steps and something still slips through the net. Better to be safe than sorry. Number eight. The building has a committee that will try and get you to join. It's one of those neighbor groups about improving living conditions for all residents. It's a nice group, and the lady who runs it, Terry from Flat 26, is a fantastic neighbor. By all means, get involved. But I wouldn't recommend babysitting Terry's two children. She'll ask you because the poor woman needs a break. But if you accept, don't say I didn't warn you. Number nine. Stray hairless cats sometimes roam in the hallway. I know they're supposedly a special, expensive breed, but they don't belong to anyone. They are mostly harmless, but don't pick them up. Not unless you see one of those neighbors that claims to live in 65 to 72. Then grab the cat and lock it up inside with you. It'll burn your skin a little, but the cats are friendly, and I wouldn't want to see them hurt. Number 10. There is no way to fix the damp patch on the ceiling in the bedroom. Sometimes it will turn a deep crimson and looks a little concerning, but please try not to be alarmed. It doesn't drip, it doesn't get any bigger, and it's been there longer than I have. The landlord won't budge on it, according to the agents. I flagged it many times, even called the police the first night it changed color, but it was a waste of time and it will be for you too. It's best to ignore it. Number 11. You can trust the postman. His name is Ian Flanders, and he's been the postman since before I moved in. He has his own key to the main door and delivers post to the door every morning at 8.54. I can't include everything here or it would become novel, but if you have any questions, Ian will help you. Number 12. Finally, the first few weeks are the worst. You'll feel like you've made a mistake. I'm sure reading this you already do. But if you can get through the first few weeks, it really is a lovely block to live in. Every property has its quirks, and this one is a little extra special. But you can be truly happy here if you just take my advice. I wish you all the best. I really do. Yours truly, Mrs. Prudence Hemmings. I don't know what to think after reading the note. Hopefully it was just some sort of joke, but the agent had said the previous tenant was an elderly lady, and I can't see anyone named Prudence Hemmings attempting to play practical jokes on someone they'd never met. There were also parts of the note I couldn't disprove. There was indeed a large, damp patch above the bed that me and Jamie had already discussed reporting. No crimson, but it definitely existed. I had also commented on a beautiful sphinx cat roaming the halls as we were moving in. I started to get seriously freaked out. Our dream, our beautiful little home, had just become a source of fear and confusion. I checked the time, and it was 9.14. Damn it. Out of time to catch Postman Ian. When I opened the door to check, sure enough, two letters addressed to a Mrs. Hemmings sat on the doorstep. At about 11.15, my worst fears were truly confirmed when a friendly, middle-aged-looking man carrying window-cleaning equipment knocked on my balcony door. I ignored him. I didn't want to take the risk until I'd spoken to Jamie and showed him the note. I'd texted him already to rush home. I felt bad as the man wrapped his knuckles against the door for over ten minutes, but honestly, the longer it went on, 
the more I was terrified. My windows were sparkling, and due to our lack of curtains, I couldn't even hide from his gaze. I felt so exposed. He stayed for a total of 30 minutes exactly, and never once did he stop looking at me or knocking. He shouted the occasional ultra-friendly line or humble request for a beverage in the heat through the door, but I did my best to avoid eye contact. When he finally left, I looked outside every window in the flat, but I couldn't see him on any of the other balconies or see any equipment suggesting he was around. He had vanished completely. Jamie still hadn't texted me back, but must have been having a rough shift. It was a Friday and they were always busy. It wasn't often that he didn't reply. He was due home in around an hour anyway. I read the note probably hundreds of times over. I tortured myself reading it for the next hour, desperately waiting for Jamie to come through the door to tell me it was all crazy and I should relax. I hoped for that so much. But Jamie never came. His shift should have finished around midday, but by 2 p.m., he still wasn't home. I panicked. I cried. I left over 100 voice messages on his phone, but got nowhere. I finally decided it had been long enough that calling his work wouldn't embarrass him, and his boss told me that he had never turned up for his shift. I thought about it. What could have happened? And then it hit me. Jamie's shift started at 4 a.m. today. He would have left the flat at 3.15 and taken the lift down the stairs. I don't know what to do. I tried to convince myself that it was all just a big joke. Maybe Jamie wrote the note and got his boss in on it. A voice in my head kept telling me that he couldn't write like that if he tried, but I had to attempt to fool myself. It's getting late, and he still isn't home. What if it's all true? I think we made a big mistake. And that was the first part of that story. Oh my goodness, reading this takes me right back to when I was just discovering the subreddit. I loved this one so much, and just the way your stomach drops when you get to the end. I just love it so much, and I can't wait to read you guys part two, so tune in next week for that. Our next story is another huge classic from r slash no sleep. There is only one rule to be followed in this story, but because it's from no sleep, that rule, of course, gets broken. <laughs> Spoiler alert. There is only one part to this story, but oh my god, it's a doozy. So strap in, get ready for... Something walks whistling past my house every night at 3.03. And also, I forgot to say, this story is written by Grand Theft Motto, and it has 44.8k upvotes, so very popular. Every night, no matter the weather, something walks down our street whistling softly. You can only hear it if you're in the living room or the kitchen when they walk by, and it always starts at exactly 3.03. The sound starts faint, somewhere near the beginning of the lane near the Carson place. We're towards the middle of the street, so the whistling moves past us before fading away in the direction of the cul-de-sac. When I was younger, my sister and I would sneak into the kitchen some nights to listen. Mom and Dad didn't like that, and we'd catch hell if they found us there. But they were never too hard on us, since we always stuck to the one big rule. Don't try to look at whatever was whistling. My neighborhood is a funny place. I lived here since I was six, and I love it. The houses are small, but well-kept. Good-sized yards. Plenty of places to roam. There are lots of other kids here my age. I turned 13 back in October. We grew up together and would always play four square in the cul-de-sac or roam around from back porch to back porch in the summer. This was a good place to grow up. I'm old enough to see it. And there's only the two strange things here, the night whistling and the good luck. The whistling never bothered me much. Like I said, I couldn't even hear it from my bedroom. But mom and dad don't like talking about it, so I've stopped asking questions. My dad is a strong guy, tall and calm. He has an accent since he moved to the U.S. as a kid. His family, my grandparents, they're from the islands. That's what they call it. My dad, the only time he isn't so calm is if the whistler comes up. 
He talks a little quicker then, eyes move faster, and tells us not to think about it so much and to always remember the one rule, the big rule. Don't try to look outside when the whistler goes past. Not that we could look even if we wanted. See, there are shutters on the inside of every window, thick pieces of heavy canvas that pull down from the top and latch to the bottom of the window frame. Each latch even has a small lock, about the size of what you'd find on a diary. My dad locks those shutters every night before we all go to bed and keeps the key in his room. My mom, I don't know what she thinks about the whistling. I've seen her out in the living room before at 3.03 when the sound starts. I could see her if I cracked my door open just an inch to peek. She's not out there often. At least I haven't caught her much. But once or twice a month, I think she sits out there on our big red couch just listening. The whistler has the same tune every night. It's cheerful. Remember how I said there are two odd things about where I live? Well, besides our night whistler, everyone in my neighborhood is really lucky. It's hard to explain, and Dad doesn't like us talking about this much either. But good things just seem to happen to people around here a lot. Usually it's small things, winning a radio contest, or getting an unexpected promotion at work, or finding some arrowheads buried in the yard. You know, the authentic kind. The weather is pretty good, and there's no crime, and everybody's gardens bloom extra bright in the fall. A million little blessings, I've heard my mom say about living here. But the main reason we stay here, why we moved here in the first place, is my sister, Nola. She was born very sick, something with her lungs. We couldn't even bring her home when she was born, only visit her in the hospital. She was so small, I remember, small even compared to the other babies. A machine had to breathe for her. We moved into our house here to be closer to the hospital. As soon as we moved here, Nola started getting better. The doctors couldn't figure it out. They chalked it up to whatever they were doing, but we all could tell they were confused. But my parents knew. Even I knew. Nola getting better was just another of the million little blessings we got for living in our neighborhood. So that's why we stayed, even after we found out that for every small miracle that happens here every day, now and then, some bad things happen. But they only happen if you look for the whistler. See, our neighborhood has a welcoming committee. They show up with the macaroni casserole and a gift basket and a manila folder whenever someone new moves in. They're very friendly. Four people showed up when we moved in seven years ago. The committee made small talk, gave me a Snickers bar, and they took turns holding Nola. It was her first week out of the hospital, so they were extra careful. Then the committee asked to speak to my parents in private, so I was sent to my room where I still managed to hear nearly every word. The welcoming committee told my parents about how nice the neighborhood was. Really exceptionally, hard to explain kind of nice. And then they told my parents about the even harder to explain whistling that happened every morning at 3.03 and ended at the tick of 3.05. The group, our new neighbors, warned my parents that the whistling was quiet, would never harm or hurt us, as long as we didn't look for whatever was making that sound. This, this part they stressed, and I had pushed my ears into the door, straining to hear them. People who went looking for the whistler had their luck change, sometimes tragically. A black cloud would hang over anyone that looked. Anything that could go wrong would. The manila envelope the committee brought over contained newspaper clippings, stories about car crashes and ruined lives, public deaths and freak accidents. Not everyone dies, I heard the head of the committee tell my dad, but life goes out of them. Even if they live, there's no light in them ever again, no presence. My mom, I could tell she wasn't taking it seriously. She kept asking if this was some prank they play on new neighbors. At one point, my mom got angry, accused the committee of trying to scare us out of our new home, asked them if they were racist on account of my dad being from the islands. My dad calmed her down, told her he could tell our new neighbors were sincere, 
and they were just trying to help us. He explained that he grew up hearing these kinds of stories from his mom, and that he knew that there were strange things that walked among us. Some of those strange things were good, and some were bad, but most were just different. After the committee left, Dad went out to the hardware store, bought the canvas blinds, the latches, and the locks, and installed them on every window in the house after dinner. That first night in our new house, I crept out of my room at 3 a.m., only to find my dad awake, sitting on the living room couch, holding my baby sister. My dad held up his finger in a shh motion, but patted the couch next to him. I sat, and we waited. At exactly 3.03, we heard the whistling. Da-da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-da-dum. It came, and it went, just like our neighbor said. The whistling returns each night, and we never look, and we enjoy our million little blessings every day. Nola breathes on her own, and she's grown into a strong, clever girl. My dad even joined the welcoming committee. We don't get new neighbors often, but why would anyone want to leave? But when a new family moves in, my dad and the committee always bring them macaroni casserole, a gift basket, and a manila folder. I can always tell by the look on my dad's face when he comes back if the family took the committee seriously or if we'd be getting new neighbors again very soon. Not long ago, a family moved in directly next to us. The previous owner, Miss Maddie, passed away at the age of 105. She'd lived a good and long life. Our new neighbors seemed to like they'd fit in just fine. They believed the welcoming committee, took my dad's advice about the locking shutters, since they had a young child of their own. Whatever newspaper clippings were in that manila envelope, whatever evidence, my dad never let us see. But I imagine it must have been awfully convincing, since our neighbors got along with no issues for the first month. One night, when our new neighbors had to leave town, they sent their son, Holden, to stay with us. He was twelve, a year under me in school. I didn't know him well before that night, but as soon as his parents dropped him off after dinner, I could tell it was going to be a bad time. Do you know who was always out there whistling every night? Holden asked the moment the adults left the room. The three of us were sitting in the den, some Disney movie playing idly on the screen. My sister and I exchanged a glance. We don't talk about that, I said. I think it's that weirdo that lives in the big yellow house on the corner, Holden said. Mr. Tolls? my sister asked. No way, he's really nice. Holden shrugged. Must be a psycho killer, then. Nola tensed. We don't talk about it, I repeated. Let's go in my room and play Nintendo. We spent the next few hours playing video games, eating popcorn, and then watching movies. A typical sleepover, but I could see Holden was getting antsy. After my parents had wished us a good night, locked the blinds, and gone to bed, Holden stood up from his beanbag and walked over to where Nola and I were sitting on my bed. Have you ever even tried looking? he asked. It's nearly time. Like most sleepovers, we'd conveniently ignored any suggestion of a bedtime. I was shocked to see he was right. It was almost 3 a.m. I sighed. We don't. See, I can't. I can't even try to look, because my dad locks the blinds every night and hides the key. He continued, ignoring me. So does our dad, said Nola. No, replied Holden. No, he doesn't. You saw him do it, I said, a little sharper than I meant to sound. Holden grinned. Your dad locks the blinds, yeah, but he doesn't hide the key. He keeps it right on his normal keychain. So, I asked, worried I already knew what he would say next. Because I had noticed that my dad didn't bother hiding the key anymore, after all these years, because he knew we took it seriously. So, after your dad locked up but before your parents went to bed, I went to the bathroom. And on my way, I may have peeked into their room, and I may have seen your dad's keychain on his nightstand, and I maybe went and borrowed the key to the blinds. Nola and I stared, and his grin only grew wider. You're lying, I said. Holden shrugged. You can check if you want. 
Just open your parents' door and look. You'll see his keychain right there on the nightstand. Stay here, I told both of them. Don't move a muscle. I hurried over to my parents' room, but hesitated at the door. If Holden wasn't lying, my dad would be angry, beyond angry. I was scared thinking about it, but more scared of an open window with the whistler right outside. I opened the door barely an inch and looked in, but it was too dark to see. Taking a deep breath, I walked into the room. Two steps into the dark, I froze. The whistling started, and I could hear it clearly from my parents' room. I never realized, but they must have heard the sound every night since we moved into the house. They never told us. I don't think I could have slept through it. I stood there, listening to the whistling come closer, unsure whether I should turn on a light or call out for my dad. Soft sounds from the living room brought me back to reality. Nola, I yelled, running out of my parents' room. Holden and Nola were standing near the front door to a window. Holden wasn't lying. I could see him fumbling with the lock on one of the blinds. I heard a click. He did have the key. Holden let out a quick laugh. Nola stood next to him, hunched up, afraid but maybe curious. The whistling was right outside our house now. I think I made a sound. Called out? I can't remember. Time felt frozen, clock hands nailed to the face. But I found myself moving. I'm not fast. I've never been athletic. Somehow, though, I covered the space between myself and Nola in a moment. My eyes were locked on her, but I heard Holden pull the blind all the way down so it could release. I heard the snap of it start to raise, and I heard the whistling just on the other side of the window. But I had my arms around Nola, and I turned us so she was facing away from the window. At the same time, I jammed my eyes shut. The blind whipped open. The whistling stopped. I felt Nola shaking in my arms. Don't look, okay? I told her. Don't turn around. We were positioned so that she was facing back towards the hallway, and I was facing the window. My eyes were still closed. I felt her nod into my shoulder. I reached out with the arm, not holding Nola, and tried to touch Holden. My hand brushed against his arm. He was shaking worse than Nola. Holden? I asked. Silence. I reached past him and gingerly felt for the window, eyes still sealed shut. The glass was cold against my fingertips, colder than it should have been for that time of year. I moved my hand up to the window, searching for the string to the blind. The glass began to get warmer the further I reached and there was a gentle hum feeding back into my fingertips. I tried not to think about what might be on the other side of the window. Finally, I touched the string and yanked the blinds shut. I opened my eyes. In the dim light, leaking out from the kitchen, I could make out Holden, pale and small, staring at the now-closed window. Holden? I asked again. He turned towards me, and he screamed. Everything became a flurry of motion. Lights sparked to life in the hallway, then the living room. My parents' footsteps thudded across a hardwood floor. I didn't turn to look back at them. My eyes were glued to Holden. He was pale, had bit his lips so hard that there was a thin red line of blood running down his chin, and he'd wet himself. What happened? My dad asked from behind me. I managed to swivel away from Holden and look back. He looked. I'd never seen my dad scared before, but I saw it that night. In that moment, an old, ugly terror stitched on his face. A parent's fear. Just Holden? He mouthed to me. I nodded yes. My dad let out a breath. He looked so relieved, I nearly expected him to cheer. But then he turned to Holden, and my dad's face changed. I wondered if he felt bad for feeling good that Holden was the only one that looked. There was a knock at the door. We all froze. Holden whimpered. Don't answer it, my mom said. She stood at the threshold of the hall. I'd always thought she was skeptic and just humored my dad about the windows and the whistler, but that night we were all believers. I noticed that both of my parents held baseball bats that they must have taken from their bedroom. The knock came again, a little louder this time. 
please don't open the door, Holden whispered. My dad walked over to him, hugged him close. We won't, my dad promised, still holding his bat. Nothing is coming in here tonight. Thud, thud, thud. This time the knocking was loud enough to rattle the door. Holden screamed again, and Nola clutched her arms around my neck. My mom came over and knelt down next to us, wrapping my sister and me close. Thud, thud, thud. Call the police, my mom whispered to my dad. The knocking instantly stopped. My dad looked over at his shoulder at us. Do you think? He was cut off by frantic knocking that trailed off to a polite tap, tap, tap. Police, something said from the other side of the door. The voice outside sounded exactly like my mom, like a parrot repeating the words back to her. Police, call the police. Tap, tap, tap. Police. My mom pulled us closer. Police, 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 police. Please stop. I heard her whisper. I don't think calling them will help, my dad said. How will we know when they're the ones at the door? The knocking came back harder than before. The door shook, then it stopped. After a long moment, I heard the knocking again, but it was coming from our back door. We all turned towards the back door, but the knocking immediately returned to the front door, front to back, back to front, loud then quiet, then loud again. Suddenly, the sound was coming from both doors at once, big, heavy blows like a sledgehammer. Then something started rapping against all of the windows in the house, then the walls. It was like we were living inside a drum with a dozen people all trying to play at once. Or we were a turtle, and something was attempting to claw us out of our shell. Stop, Holden yelled. The knocking died. I won't tell, Holden said, staring at the door. I promise I won't tell anyone what I saw. Just please, go away. We waited for nearly a minute. Then we heard it. A soft coming from the window Holden had looked through earlier. Holden started to cry, sobbing like a prisoner watching gallows being built outside their cell. My dad held him, brushed his hair, but never lied to him, never told him things would be okay. The tapping at the window went on for the rest of the night. We huddled together in the living room for I don't know how long. Eventually, my mom tried to take us kids into my room, while my dad stayed to watch the door. But the second we moved into my bedroom, the knocking came back, so loud it was impossible to ignore. I was afraid the door couldn't take it. We went back to the living room and the knocking stopped. Only the tap, tap, tap on the window remained. None of us slept that night. The tapping stopped around 7 a.m. That's about the time the sun comes up here. We waited another two hours before my dad opened the blinds from one window. He made us all go back to my parents' bedroom first. I heard him open the door, then come back in. Okay, he told us. It's done. Holden's parents came back around lunchtime. My mom and dad walked Holden over to his house, and they all went inside for quite a while. Nola and I watched from the window. She stuck to me the whole day, right at my side, sometimes holding my hand. When my parents came back, they looked grim but they wouldn't tell us what they said to Holden's family. It was a Sunday, so we all spent the day together, ordered pizza, and watched movies. That night, everyone slept in my room. Nola and my mom in my bed with me, my dad in a chair he'd pulled over. There was no knocking that night or any night since. We didn't see much of Holden or his parents for the rest of that week, but by Thursday there was a moving truck in their driveway. Nola and I watched them packing up the whole afternoon after school. What sticks with me most is how tired Holden and his parents looked. All three had the same pallor, grim mouths, and lightless eyes. Even from across the street, I could tell something was very wrong. Holden and his family were gone before sunset. I remember what the original welcoming committee had said to my parents when we moved in. Not everyone who looks at the Whistler dies. But even those that live have the light go out of them for the rest of their lives, and they're full of misfortune, a million little tragedies. I think Holden's parents must have looked, either to comfort him if they didn't believe, or share the burden if they did. I watched Nola some days, happy and young and alive, and I wonder if I'd been slower. If she'd looked out the window that night, would I have looked too?
to comfort her? To share that burden? I'm glad I didn't have to find out. We still live in that house, in that neighborhood. We still hear our whistler walking past every night. The blessings, the luck, the good things here are too good to leave. But we're careful. We don't have friends over to spend the night anymore. And my dad hides the key to the blinds very, very well. Not that I've gone looking. Some things you just don't need to look for. And that was that. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw my face, but the part where there's some warmth on the other side of the window. Oh my god. That creeps me out so much. I used to sleep by a window and I would not look out of it at night because I was just afraid there'd be a murderer looking through, even though he's on the second story. I was a very paranoid child. And that's why I would not have been like Holden. I would be way too scared. So I hate to say it, but that's Darwinism, you little shit. Our final story for the evening is a little bit different than the other two stories. This one is another two-parter, so I'll read the first part to you and then the next part next week. It's pretty meta and it gave me a good chuckle and I hope you guys will enjoy it as well. It was posted 23 days ago on No Sleep by user ch-4-os with 2.5k upvotes, so a lot newer than the other stories. Alright you guys, settle in, get ready for our last story. I used to love the rules. I'm an avid reader here at No Sleep. My favorite subgenre is the rules. You know the ones. Person moves into a house or starts a job and finds a list of rules on the first day. Person doesn't follow the rules for whatever reason, and stuff starts to go sideways. I always thought I was better and smarter than the protagonists. I'm good at following rules, right? I could remember to not leave my room after a certain time, or to keep my eyes down when talking to the person in the brown pants or whatever. I never really believed the stories here were real, despite the admonishment at the top of the subreddit. So I hope you can imagine my surprise when I walked into my new apartment and found a frame hanging on the wall by the door, which held a yellowed piece of parchment with a fancy calligraphy heading which said, The Rules of the House. I have to be honest here and tell you that my first thought was, this isn't a house, idiot. Then I thought, no, no way, it can't be real. As I walked over to take a closer look, at first I thought it must be one of those cheesy posters families put up with pop culture references or ways to treat each other. But as I walked up to it, I saw my mistake. It was a list of the rules. Here's what it said. Knock twice before walking through the bathroom door. This is doable, I thought. Always wash the dishes immediately after cooking slash eating. Okay, mom. If you hear three knocks, don't open the door. I hope they knock loud. If you feel like you're being watched, don't look for the watcher. Hmm, shy guy. If you wake up in the night and hear breathing, cover your head with the blanket until morning. Seems like the kids were alright all along. As you can see by my snarky first thoughts, I didn't think it was real at first. I had read enough of these stories, though, to take it seriously anyway. So when I went to the bathroom to put things away, I knocked twice and did the same on the way out. I washed the dishes when I finished dinner. I figured I would do the things just in case, you know? Well, I was glad I had been cautious when I felt that tingle at the back of my neck and I knew that someone was watching me. I remembered not to look at the watcher, so I kept my eyes glued on Twitter. I knocked again when I went in to brush my teeth, and I realized that this isn't the life I want to live. I know, I know, it had only been one day, and the rules weren't all that bad. This is what I think the stories don't convey. It's a drag. Knocking twice before going into the bathroom two times had been enough for me. What if I'm tired when I get home and I don't want to wash the dishes, you know? It's my home and I should be able to do what I want in it. So I stopped unpacking and texted the landlord to see if there was another open apartment in the complex. I got lucky and there was, so I begged the landlord to let me switch. He didn't seem surprised at all by my request, which made me assume he knew about the rules and made me feel angry that he didn't warn me. But I got over that because I was so happy to switch places. Once the switch was made, I breathed a sigh of relief. 
and got my new place all set up after I made sure there was no framed set of rules hanging up anywhere. I lived happily in my new place for a solid week, no knocking, washing dishes when I wanted to, and sleeping soundly without being watched. You can imagine my surprise when I came home to find an envelope taped to my door and opened it to find a new set of rules. Leave the kitchen window open a quarter of an inch all the time. Never look at the ceiling in the bathroom when the sun isn't out. When you hear the sound of a bell tolling, spin around until the tolling stops. Never leave dishes in the sink. Always set an extra place at the table. Knock before you go through any door. I sat down hard on the floor, dropped the paper, and closed my eyes tightly, willing the paper to disappear and things to go back to normal. When I opened my eyes to verify that the paper did not, in fact, disappear, I took several deep breaths as I rushed to open the kitchen window and wash the dishes. I gave thanks that it was an efficiency apartment, and there was no door between the living room and the kitchen. Then I walked to my bedroom, making sure to knock before entering, and collapsed onto my bed, weeping because I was going to have to move again. I didn't think the landlord was going to take kindly to me requesting another move, so I sat up and really thought about it. Well, these rules aren't quite as creepy as the other ones, I thought to myself. No watcher or breather? That's good. Maybe I can do this. I could leave the window open and set an extra place and do the dishes. So I decided to stay for a while and look for a new place eventually when I just couldn't take it anymore. Like I said, having to follow strange rules in your own home is a drag. After a week, I had mostly gotten used to the rules. They weren't quite second nature, but I followed them because I didn't want to find out what would happen if I didn't. I knocked, I washed, actually I mostly just got takeout and ate it in my car. I didn't look at the ceiling, I spun, and I kept a sweater in the kitchen because the wind gets cold. Under the drudgery of it, I started to feel cocky about it, started to feel a little bit of superiority, started to feel like I would comment on people's stories like, I could do it, don't be a wuss. Then I found an index card on my desk at work. At noon, hold your breath for 15 seconds. Tap your right knee anytime someone sneezes. End every email with two periods. If you see a shadow in the corner of your office, beg its forgiveness for interrupting it. I froze. I didn't know what was happening. I mean, I did know what was happening, but I couldn't believe it. Then I heard someone sneeze and tapped my right knee. I decided to take a few days off from work to figure it out. I sent an email to my boss asking for a few days of PTO, citing an unexpected illness in the family. I almost forgot to end the email of two periods. Thank God I remembered at the last second before I hit send. My boss is great, so she responded immediately that I should take as much time as I need. I packed up my things and forced myself to walk rather than run out to my car. I was feeling frantic now. I never read about anyone having two sets of rules at the same time, and I certainly didn't trust myself to remember them all, all the time. I was thinking about how maybe I could sleep in my car as I walked through the parking garage, and I stopped dead in my tracks when my car came into sight, with a piece of white paper tucked under the wiper blade on the driver's side of my car. For a single moment, I let myself believe that it could be a parking ticket, or something like that, then I took a deep breath and finished walking to the car. I felt tears spring to my eyes and start to trail down my cheeks as I read the writing on his paper. If I run a yellow light, kiss your index finger and touch it to the ceiling of the car. Never turn up the music past volume level 9. Never turn the same direction two times in a row. If the radio tells you to take a turn, obey it. Don't eat or drink in the car. Don't imagine you can escape. It took some doing, but I managed to get home following the rules. The most difficult rule to follow was not imagining escaping. The rules were following me, and it didn't seem like there was any safe place. I thought about going to my parents' house. I thought about selling my car and taking the bus forever. I thought about giving it all up and living in a box under a bridge. I thought about these things and dismissed them all because I couldn't really do any of them. I sat in my car for a few minutes when I reached the apartment complex, taking some deep breaths to steady myself and work up the courage to face the rules in my apartment. When I had gathered the courage, I walked up to my place and I knocked on the door before going in, 
and I dropped my things and plopped down on the couch. I rubbed my eyes as I let my hair down and stretched. I was looking for the TV remote when I noticed a framed document hanging on my wall. It was a yellowed piece of parchment. The heading at the top was written in calligraphy and said, The Rules of the House. The first item said, Knock twice before walking through the bathroom door. I buried my head in my hands and wept. There really was no escape. All of that was several hours ago. I'm writing this on my tablet under my blanket as I listen to heavy breathing from the other side of the room. I can make it until sunrise, but I'm young and life looks pretty bleak under the weight of the rules. And that was the end of the first part of that story. Oh my goodness, pretty meta. I relate so much to the protagonist because I would also probably get a little bit cocky. And that just makes this all the creepier. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the next part. I hope you guys are too. Tune in next week and we will find out together. That was all for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed those stories as much as I did. Keep in mind that this podcast has a new episode every week on Wednesday, so I will see you guys next Wednesday for those next segments and those two stories. We are posting on YouTube as well as Spotify, and this podcast is also available on your platform of choosing, so keep an eye out for me if you'd like. A positive review on whichever platform you're on now would be very much appreciated. This podcast is still small and growing but I would like to see it grow a little bit bigger. That'd be fun. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and I will see you next time. Bye!